Despite being called the Clone Wars, the Republic and Confederacy of Independent Systems relied on more than clones and battle droids to fight. The Republic, even with the million-strong Grand Army, was vastly outnumbered in both men and resources to conduct a galaxy-wide war. In order to ease the burden of the war effort, the Republic relied on recruiting local auxiliaries to assist the clones, or supported local resistance movements that were being occupied by the CIS. This is a non-exhaustive list as there were likely many more auxiliary forces recruited or unofficially fighting for either side of the conflict as the war raged across hundreds of worlds. You are listening to the Star Lores Podcast. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Officers. Within the Republic's main forces, non-clone recruits occupied various positions in the fleet, from mechanics and engineers to command officers and logistical staff. Individuals such as Wilhuff Tarkin and Wolf Yerlin, who would later hold ranks in the Imperial regime, began their careers in military service to the Republic. Other members were drawn from the Republic security forces and intelligence units to occupy similar roles within the war machine. Other existing security and judicial forces were also integrated into the GAR, as well as the vaunted Senate Guard and corollary Senate commandos who continued their work protecting senators and high-ranking Republic officials along with prisoner escort details. Sons and Daughters of Freedom. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Some rogue Republic elements, such as Captain Zozerdor Slake of the Judicial Fleet, were reintegrated back into the Republic fighting forces as auxiliaries. Although he ventured off to fight the CIS before the conflict officially broke out, no combat engagements were reported prior to Geonosis. Captain Slake had every intention of engaging the Confederacy. He had managed to rally a number of other civilians and mercenaries to his banner, which took on the name Sons and Daughters of Freedom, or simply Freedom Sons. 
In response, the Republic dispatched a Jedi and bounty on the rogue officer until the outbreak of hostilities with the CIS caused the Republic to reconsider and reintegrate the mercenary group, with Slake receiving an official pardon by Palpatine himself. Slake was considered a hero by many mid-rim worlds for his proactive approach to the war, and he was considered a persuasive and charismatic leader. He ended up serving alongside the very Jedi Master sent to hunt him during the Battle of Presethlin, and was known for his dislike of clone forces, referring to them in derogatory names such as test tube soldiers, as well as disparaging other elements of the Grand Army of the Republic. Although he respected and valued the Jedi whom he tried to assist whenever possible. At their strongest, the Sons and Daughters of Freedoms numbered 50,000 ground troops, which were organized by like species, such as Gungan engineers or Bothan observers. Although having fought valiantly, they suffered many casualties, and only 2,000 remained after the defense of Presseltine, which they fought alongside with regular Republic forces and Jedi generals Anakin Skywalker and Nija Halcyon. At their strongest, their fleet numbered 94 vessels of various types, from fighters to dreadnoughts, though, like their ground forces, a majority were lost in battle. Twi'lek Resistance Steady. Remember, we have to buy as much time for the Twi'leks as possible. Yes, sir. For the Republic! For the Twi'leks! Also known as Freedom Fighters, they were a group of native Twi'leks of the planet Ryloth that resisted occupation by the Confederacy of Independent Systems. The faction was led by Cham Syndulla, a disaffected noble who opposed the Republic and its corrupt senator Ornfrita, as well as the Confederate occupation. Eventually, Syndulla had to set aside his differences with the Republic in order to fight against the droid invaders. However, he did so under the terms that the Republic would not occupy or garrison the world after. Syndulla was a strong proponent for Ryloth's independence. A force of clones and resistance fighters eventually liberated their world, and Cham maintained a respectful but suspicious relationship with the Republic, reluctantly to assist with the pursuit of Asajj Ventress later on in the war. Wookiees. Welcome to Kashik. Thanks to the data you found on that assault ship, the Republic and the Wookiees are on very good terms. They've asked us to help find their leader, a Wookiee named Tarful. <laughs> Mm, 
Tarthal spent years fighting Trandoshan slavers. Two days ago, one of his patrols was overwhelmed. The Wookiees assumed he was lost. However, we recently cracked a Trandoshan code, indicating Tarthal was captured. Be advised, this is a covert insertion. He is still alive and being held in a slave camp here on Kashyyyk. At least you have the element of surprise this time. Good luck. During the Clone Wars, the Wookiees initially sought neutrality. However, after the Separatist droids killed Prince Rikumi, King Grakchawa then committed his people to support the Republic in response. Subsequently, the Confederacy invaded Kashyyyk. Recognizing the strategic value of controlling the planet for hyperspace route planning and exploiting the Wookiees' secret routes to disrupt galactic trade and communication. In response, the Republic, led by Master Yoda, dispatched a task force consisting of clone troopers and Wookiees, successfully repelling the Separatist droid invaders and Trandoshan allies at the Battle of Kashyyyk. Despite this victory, the rise of the Galactic Empire marked a dark turn. The Jedi were declared enemies, leading to their persecution by the New Order. Former clone troopers, now stormtroopers, assumed control of the planet, imposing martial law. In defiance, the Wookiees rose against their new oppressors. In 19 BBY, the Empire subjected the Wookiees to enslavement, and bombed their cities on Kashyyyk. Trandoshans, known for recognizing the Wookiee's strength, played a pivotal role in persuading the Empire to exploit them as slave labor. Survivors attempting to escape the ravaged world faced relentless pursuit by the Trandoshans. Tarful was a notable Wookiee general and chieftain of the city Kachiro, who had close personal friendships with Jedi Master Yoda. Shortly preceding the Battle of Kashyyyk, Tarful disappeared, leaving the Wookiees fearing his loss. Unbeknownst to them, he had been captured by a Trandoshan slaver, allies of the Separatist, and was held captive in one of their camps. Upon discovering this, the Republic assigned the elite clone commandos of Delta Squad to rescue him, and thwart the Separatist agenda. It was revealed that the slavers intended to deliver Tarful to General Grievous for interrogation. Understanding the gravity of the situation and General Grievous's imminent presence on Kashyyyk, Delta Squad engaged in a fierce battle with the camp to liberate Tarful. Amidst the chaos, Tarful, resisting the efforts of IG-100 Magna Guards attempting to take him to the general ship, managed to destroy one of them. Delta Squad, skillfully neutralizing the remaining guards, successfully escorted Tarful to safety, reuniting him with his fellow Wookiees. When the full army of Separatists invaded, Tarful commanded the defense forces of clones and Wookiees as a deputy general and was accompanied by his longtime friend, Chewbacca. Collaborating closely with Jedi Masters, Luminara Unduli and Quinlan Voss, 
Tarfo meticulously strategized the positioning of troops and warriors. During the charge led by Voss and Chewbacca, Tarfo played a pivotal role. Amidst the chaos, when the 41st Elite Corps clone troopers turned against the Jedi, Tarful and Chewbacca assisted Yoda in reaching an escape pod. Initially aiming for a stealthy approach, they encountered unexpected hostility from clone troopers shortly after leaving the Wookiee meeting hall. Swiftly dispatching the attackers, they prevented any communication regarding the escape from reaching the rest of the clone forces. Attempting to evade further pursuit, they sought refuge in a Wookiee boat, but eventually deemed it too risky and abandoned the hiding place. After a series of challenges, Tarful, Chewbacca, and Yoda successfully reached a concealed escape pod nestled in the mountains. Yoda, bidding a heartfelt farewell to his companions, departed Kashyyyk. Several months later, Tarful found himself in the midst of a group of six Jedi who had evaded Order 66, led by Oli Starstone. They had come to Kashyyyk in search of any of the three Jedi present during the issuance of Order 66, participating in a battle of Kashyyyk during the Great Jedi Purge. Tarful fought valiantly. However, despite his efforts, he was captured by the Empire and forced into slavery, assigned to contribute to the construction of the first Death Star. Onderon Resistance No strangers to conflict and civil war, Onderon's loyalties were split during the Clone Wars. Although typically aligned with the Republic, King Ramses Dendup adhered to a policy of non-intervention in the war, viewing both sides as inherently corrupt. His belief in Onderon's best interests lay in maintaining neutrality. However, at the war's outset, Dendup faced an overthrow by Sanjay Rash, who forged an alliance between Onderon and the Separatists. In response to Rash's Separatist-backed regime, Saw Gerrera, a steadfast supporter of Dendup, found it intolerable and chose to align himself with the Onderon rebels. The Onderonian rebellion coalesced from a disparate group of insurgents united in their quest to reclaim control of their world and reinstate King Ramses Dendup to the throne. Under the tutelage of Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker, and Jedi Commander Ahsoka Tano and Clone Captain CT-7567, the Rebels underwent military training and were given weapons to help fight against the air superior droid forces. Their operations included targeted attacks on small groups of droids within the city of Izzes and the strategic destruction of the city's power station to disable all droids. The Rebels took care to avoid causing casualties to the Onderon Royal Guard, who had sided with the new king and opted to target enemy battle droids when they could. Rescuing their true king, Ramses Dendup, from imminent execution, the rebels successfully enlisted him in their cause. In the final confrontation with the Separatists, the rebels suffered significant losses at the hands of droid gunships. Tragically, Stila Guerrera, sister of Saw, 
sacrificed her life by plunging off a cliff to save Dendup from a similar fate. Shortly thereafter, Onderon re regained its freedom, restored under Dendup's rule once more. Initially allied to the CIS, the Onderon Royal Guard, under the leadership of General Tandon, swore allegiance to their new king, Sanjay Rash. However, when Rash attempted to publicly execute Dendup, Tandon led the Royal Onderon Militia against the Crown, rescuing the king and siding with the Onderon rebels against Rash's regime, which was being backed by General Kalani and the Confederate droid army. Subsequently, they united with the rebels in the Onderon Highlands, functioning, functioning as cavalry forces in the face of the droid onslaught. Initially, their lances and mounts exhibited dominance over the battle droid forces, showcasing their prowess as capable soldiers. Unfortunately, their lances were ineffective against the aerial dominance maintained by the Confederacy. In a later instance, two of them undertook the responsibility of escorting the king during an escape attempt, but found themselves pursued by commando droids. Despite their best efforts to overcome the droids, the limited range of their lance bursts proved insufficient to penetrate the droids' body armor, in time resulting in their own demise. The rebels were eventually successful in repelling the droid forces and the CIS abandoned their campaign on the world, killing Sanjay Rash, who protested their retreat. Elon Nova Guard. We have created a perfect civilization, but it took all of our strength, determination, and courage to get there. In order for our people to reach their full potential, we had to remove the weak from our society. It was a long and difficult process. When it was over, our population was cut in half. But what emerged from the ashes was unstoppable. The Elon Nova Guard, often referred to simply as the Nova Guard, stood as the military power of Elon, celebrated for their martial prowess, comparable to that of the Imperial Royal Guard and the Mandalorians. Nova Guard members underwent rigorous training from infancy, immersing themselves in military history and tactics. Valuing physical resilience and survival of the fittest ethos, the Nova Guard exhibited near-religious dedication to martial traditions. Their commitment to the highest standards ensured professionalism in all circumstances, with any hint of cowardice leading to swift exposure and execution, preventing the tarnishing of their regiments in combat. Rejection or expulsion from military service was considered so dishonorable that individuals would choose self-imposed exile from their homeworld in disgrace. A mandatory minimum five-year tour of duty applied to all Elon citizens with trainees regarded as active duty personnel. In battle, the Nova Guard distinguished themselves by outthinking, outflanking, and overwhelming their adversaries. Often, individual Nova Guard soldiers were surprised by the relative inexperience and lack of training in their opponents. While excelling in all aspects of modern warfare, 
Novigard held a special reverence for hand-to-hand -hand and melee combat, frequently wielding pole arms and the traditional eclot alongside more conventional weaponry. With a force comprising nearly a billion soldiers, the Elon Nova Guard stood as one of the galaxy's most formidable and accomplished fighting units, a distinction evident in the meticulous organization of its ranks. Upon induction into the Nova Guard, a fresh recruit would assume the rank of guardsman, with opportunities for subsequent promotions. The highest rank, the Elon Marshalet, consists of field marshals tasked with commanding corps within the Elon Nova Guard. The elite command force was also served as a ruling council. At the pinnacle of authority with the Elon Nova Guard stood the High Marshal of Elon, who held the position of Supreme Commander. In the midst of the Clone Wars, the Nova Guard aligned themselves with the Galactic Republic, notably fighting at the Battle of Ord Canfrey and the Battle of Basadro. Additionally, they were reportedly involved in the ruthless elimination of the Mandalorian protectors at Norval II. The Nova Guard held a staunch belief that Galactic Emperor Palpatine personified their principles, pledging unwavering support in any way possible. Unfortunately, the humanocentric empire exploited this allegiance, frequently contracting them for purportedly glorious battles that often devolved into perilous suicide missions. The annual Elon military ceremonies became a significant tourist attraction with the Elon system, reaching a galaxy-wide audience through broadcasts. During the era of the Empire, elite Imperial units also partook in these parades and ceremonies. Coda's Militia Ram Coda's Militia stood out as a distinctive combat unit comprised of battle-hardened soldiers who served the Galactic Republic during the Clone Wars. Unlike the Jedi Order members who assumed high-ranking positions in the Grand Army of the Republic, Master Coda opted to distance himself from the new clone army. He harbored a distrust toward the clones and considered them ineffective as soldiers. Consequently, Coda assembled a compact yet proficient army by recruiting from local militias, mercenary groups, and even from among separatist prisoners of war. When Supreme Chancellor Palpatine issued Order 66, the clone troopers turned on and killed their Jedi officers. Remarkably, the majority of Coda's militia remained steadfastly loyal to their general. They went into hiding during the Great Jedi Purge, but later resurfaced, taking up arms against the Galactic Empire and ultimately evolving into the foundational soldiers of the Rebel Alliance. Clad in armor and uniforms reminiscent of those adopted by the Alliance Special Forces in the early Galactic Civil War, the militia soldiers were equipped with blaster rifles, stun batons, missile launchers, and thermal grenades. 
Elite members received heavier armor and repeating blaster cannons. In addition, the militia commandeered several MAAT gunships, at least three CR-90 corvettes, and dozens of BTLS-3 Y-Wing starfighters. They later acquired a and commandeered a Republic cruiser. Many of their weapons and vehicles were obtained through transactions with criminal organizations, including the Locke Revenants. Despite their limited numbers, the militia relied predominantly on the element of surprise and hit-and-run tactics. Although facing overwhelming odds against both the droid army of the Confederacy and, later, the considerably larger Imperial army, the militia comprised individuals wholly dedicated to the cause of rebellion against the Galactic Empire. Their attributes included unwavering loyalty to Ram Koda, steadfast dedication to his cause, courage in the face of Imperial soldiers, and readiness to sacrifice their lives for their Jedi General. Mon Calamari. Troubled is the planet Mon Calamari. Its races have divided. The droid army of the Quarren Isolation League moves against the Calamari Council. Alone, the Calamari are no match. Intervene we must. During the waning years of the Galactic Republic, governance of the planet Dak and its representation in the Galactic Senate was a shared responsibility between the Mon Calamari and the Quarren species. While many Mon Calamari journeyed across the galaxy and Republic individuals visited Mon Calamari's space, Dak and its colonies remained relatively secluded. Despite occasional visits, the planet resisted formal integration into the Republic, leading to the legendary Mon Calamari shipyards being regarded as rumors by many. Just before the outbreak of the Clone Wars, the corrupt Quarren Senator Teeks uh, permitted the Thalasian slavers to operate in the Calamari system. Subsequently, he defected to the Confederacy of Independent Systems as the leader of the Quarren Isolation League after being ousted from office. Another Mon Calamari named Merai even led Separatist forces in an attack on the cloning facilities on Camino. This sparked a civil war on Dak, with Mon Calamari knights loyal to the Republic joining forces against the Quarren Isolation League. Following the Republic's triumph at the Battle of Dak, new agreements were reached between the Quarren and Mon Calamari. Pro-Republic Senators Tundra Daumea, a Quarren, and Mina Tills, a Mon Calamari, jointly represented Dak in the Senate. At some point during the conflict, Count Dooku unleashed the Forced Harvester on Mon Calamari and other worlds, marking a dark chapter known as the Dark Reaper Crisis. Jedi Master Fit Kit Fisto was deployed to the ocean world of Dak, along with the contingent of clone scuba troopers. 
landing their capital ships directly on the ocean surface. The Republic forces joined Mon Calamari forces in combat beneath the waves. The Mon Calamari Knights stood amongst the most formidable warriors in the galaxy. Originating in Dax's ancient history, these soldiers were initially perceived as embodying traditional roles. However, during the Battle of Mon Calamari in 22 BBY, the Mon Calamari Council strategically employed these fighters to successfully repel the Separatist forces of the Koran Isolation League. Adorned in armor crafted from Titan Cantry plates, a sizable native crustacean, interwoven with modern materials sourced by the Koran, each Mon Calamari knight further fortified themselves with a the carbon-woven cowl shell shield. Armed with a single energy lance, these knights often rode atop the fierce and nimble Kilkana, eel-like mounts. Udapalan Security Forces Udapalan Security Forces, or USF, served as Udapal's official standing military. It was the singular organization on the planet that facilitated cooperation among all city-states. Tasked with training and deploying military units for the defense of Udapal, including resident warships of the Sky Force, the USF utilized advanced transportation methods. Some warriors were specifically trained to ride dactylions and viractyls, armed with a vibroblade and shield. Upon the Confederacy's invasion, the homemade USF Dreadnought-class heavy cruisers were obliterated, leading to the Utapao Sky Force into retreat and hiding in the natural caverns or deep space. During the Battle of Utapao, the security force under the leadership of Senin Vant re-emerged, deploying P-38 Starfighters and Dactylions against the Techno-Union Mankvim-814 Light Interceptors. Following the battle, Utapau endured occupation under the Galactic Empire, with the remaining military assets of Utapau meeting destruction. The forces were split between the two sentient humanoids that lived on Utapau. The tall slender Pawn typically served as ground forces and soldiers, while the stocky and diminutive Utai piloted ships as part of the Sky Force or rode the local flying fauna. Toydarian Royal Guard. Perhaps now. Begin negotiations, we can. That is not necessary, my friend. You have my faith. Toydaria would be honored to host a Republic base. My people are at your service. Your Majesty, fail you. We will not. Serving the King of Toydaria, the Royal Guard were armed with ceremonial armor and baroque blasters and accompanied their king on diplomatic missions. Initially neutral, being courted by both the Confederacy 
and the Republic, King Catuno elected to join the forces of the Republic. He would later be killed by a Sith assassin who cut through the Royal Guard with ease. Mandalorians. Commander, I have Prime Minister Almec of Mandalore on the comm. Put him through. What is the meaning of this invasion? The Republic presence here is a direct violation of our treaty. Your time has come, Almec. We know your Maul's puppet, and we are coming for him. The Mandalorian people were fractured by the time of the Clone Wars, and their allegiances of various subgroups varied. Still recovering from the death and destruction of the Mandalorian Civil War that saw the near extinction of the true Mandalorians, Mandalore's reconstruction fell largely to the pacifist faction of new Mandalorians. Those who wished to maintain their traditional warrior customs retreated and chose either to continue their ways as unaffiliated clans, families, or individuals and subfactions, or to join the Death Watch, which opposed the new Mandalorian regime. Those Mandalorians who opted to preserve their traditional way of life while rejecting the Death Watch's ideals became known as the Old Mandalorians. A faction of these Old Mandalorians, led by Nam Beroya, decided to depart the Mandalore sector and establish themselves at Thelmoth Port. Mandalorian Protectors Alpha O2 also known as Spar, an elite ARC trooper, developed unusual symptoms, including headaches and memories resembling Jango Fett's life. Forming a friendship with Mandalorian Koival Dar, training sergeant and medic Dr. Mij Gilamar, Spar expressed a desire to desert the Grand Army. Gilamar, owing a favor to Fett, facilitated Spar's escape off Kamino aboard Slave One. After Fett's death at Geonosis, Spar, now on odd jobs, journeyed to Mandalore. Convincing him to assume Jango Fett's legacy, Constable Fen Shaisa des designated Spar as the new Mandalore. Quote, Mandalore the Resurrector. Aligning with the Confederacy, and opposing the Republic and Jedi. Spar's rise led to the decline of the new Mandalorians, as the other clans and Jaster Muriel's Supercommando Codex regained prominence. Embracing the Supercommando Codex, Spar created the Mandalorian Protectors, recruiting from local forces and former Death Watch members. They allied with the Separatists, capturing Mandalore Motors facilities and deploying battle legionnaire droids. 
engaging Republic forces on various planets. The Protectors face setbacks on New Holstis and triumphs on Null and Zadja. However, their deadly campaign ended disastrously on Norval II, where they were ambushed by Republic forces, leading to near total annihilation. Only three Mandalorians, including Spar, survived. Traumatized, he resigned as Mandalore, despite Shaisa's attempt to convince him otherwise. Shaisa feared a power vacuum that the Death Watch might exploit, but Spar remained adamant in stepping down. The Concord Dawn Protectors, a feared militia of Mandalorian lawmen, were renowned throughout the Mandalorian sector. Utilizing Fang-class starfighters flown by top pilots, these journeyman protectors became a common sight in the Concord Dawn system in Mandalorian space. Most starfighters were acquired by the Concord Dawn Protectorate, with a few finding their way to the Black Sun Crime Syndicate. New Mandalorians. The New Mandalorians remained largely neutral during the Clone Wars, but were under constant harassment by the Death Watch, eventually necessitating Republic intervention. The Death Watch also attacked the Republic and attempted to frame the New Mandalorians, spreading rumors that they were readying to attack the Republic under the ruse of neutrality and trying to generate a cause for war. The Death Watch, under Pre Vizsla, allied themselves with the Confederacy and ready to take control of Mandalore, ostensibly to protect them from a proposed occupation by the Republic, but it was forced not to enact their plan, opting instead to continue to harass the new Mandalorian regime and attempt to assassinate their leader, Duchess Satine Kreese. When Death Watch aligned itself and was eventually ruled over by the rogue Sith apprentice Darth Maul and his Shadow Collective, some Death Watch broke away, refusing to be ruled by an outsider. Even so, Maul, with the help of a traitorous new Mandalorian Prime Minister Almec, formed an elite unit of Mandalorian Super Commandos that decorated their armor in black and red paint and molded horns on their helmets in homage to their new leader. This force staged a coup and took over Mandalore, with Maul killing Duchess Satine. Although enemies of the Republic, the Shadow Collective, and by extension their Death Watch followers, were not in league with the CIS either, becoming a hostile third party to the war effort. The Republic did deploy a force of clones and Mandalorian resistance to fight the Death Watch and take Mandalore back. While the campaign was successful in expelling the Shadow Collective and deposing Maul and Gar Saxon, then leader of the Death Watch, the campaign ended with Maul's capture and escape amidst the chaos and confusion of Order 66. The clones themselves retain an element of true Mandalorian culture and identity. The Kuviel Dar, including 75 Mandalorians, played a crucial role in training the Grand Army's clones. Renowned Mandalorian sergeants such as Waylon Vau, Cal Skirata, Mij Gilomar, and Rav Braylor infused the clone ranks with a significant dose of Mandalorian culture. 
This cultural exchange manifested in several clones adopting Mandalorian names, incorporating Mandalorian slang and curses, and embracing Mandalorian songs and chants like the Da Word of Verda for morale. Cal Skirata, in particular, took a personal interest in educating his clones about their Mandalorian heritage, going so far as to follow Mandalorian custom by adopting the six Null Ark troopers and various commandos as his sons. While many clones embraced their Mandalorian roots, some developed a resentment towards their heritage, especially after Mandalore aligned itself with the Confederacy of Independent Systems, leading to, conf to conflict against the Republic and its clone army. Both Sides and Neutral Forces Soon, the galaxy will be remade, and in the chaos, we must seize what power we can. It is not the way of your people to hide here in the gutters. If you die, I promise you, it will be Individual bounty hunters, mercenary groups, and pirate bands flock to the conflict to fight on either side of the prospect of blood, fame, and fortune. Others simply use the war as cover to pillage, raid, and loot without any real allegiances. Additionally, crime cartels such as the Huts and Pike Syndicate were largely neutral during the conflict at least publicly, but took advantage of the chaos of the Clone Wars to pursue their own interests, sometimes aligning their interests with either side. The Shadow Collective, a criminal organization established by the rogue Sith Darth Maul, was not allied to the Confederacy, but did find itself as a major Republic target during the waning days of the Clone Wars. Thanks for flying with us. Jordan here. Just wanted to let everyone know what's happening here at the Star Lords podcast. Star Lords is now on Discord. If you would like to join the Star Lords Cantina Discord server, you can find a link in the description or on any of our social media accounts. Reach out with a DM or email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the Star Lores podcast. Go ahead and give our page a like and send us a message. You can also email at starlorespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art, Star Wars collections, or fan fictions, and you may even get a feature on one of our pages or even the show. Don't be afraid to offer corrections or add to any of the topics that we discuss on the show. We are also on Patreon. So if you want to help us pay the bills, as well as get a few awesome perks like bonus episodes, access to the private Facebook group, or the VIP section of the Discord server, head on over to patreon.com forward slash starlores and sign up for as little as one US dollar a month. And finally, 
make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app or YouTube, as well as sending us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us reach a wider audience. Enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome aboard the Millennial Falcon. This is Christian. This is Jordan. We're currently orbiting the beautiful world of Elon uh, in the hopes that we don't get drafted into the Elon military. Um, just figured it'd be a good place to stop and chat a little bit about the auxiliary forces of the uh, Republic. Um, so just one thing right out of the gate. Again, we kind of address this in the episode itself, but a very little known fact about the Clone Wars is that it was so vast that it necessitated the use of non-clone soldiers to help uh, prosecute the war, um, which does kind of make sense when you look at conflict at the scale of a galaxy. And when I think we've cited problems with number, like military size numbers in previous episodes, like the one just before this, um, well, yeah, yeah, when you're trying to conduct there's military no way. operations <laughs> at that scale. Really, the... I almost wonder if like the argument really is basically the clones were just the tip of the spear and the real army was all of the auxiliaries. Yeah. yeah. And they're made up of like all these different groups, different planets who have like their existing security forces and traditional warrior classes or uh, militarized cultures that actually, yeah, exactly do a lot of the, the ground fighting. Yeah. And then are just supported by the Republic. Um, so you see a lot of that in history. Um, I think most notably, and even where we draw the term auxiliary, is uh, the Roman Empire. Um, they depended heavily on auxiliary forces. Well, I mean, maybe relatively heavily. Um, <coughs> where they're, you know, Rome is known for its citizen soldiers and its legions. Um, but they also, again, where we get the word auxiliary from is drew their own forces from like the provincial areas that they conquered um anyone that was loyal to the empire uh would be formed into specialist military units and uh be sent off to fight at the borders of the empire and smart people would send them to the other borders of the empire because they wouldn't really be great at fighting their own people yeah um and they also gave the military or, or the uh Roman legions more tactical flexibility because a lot of these people groups that they conquered would be specialists of a certain kind. So they'd have like specialist archers or light cavalry, um, slingers and that kind of thing. So they could fill niches in the army that weren't being filled by the regular troops. Um, so just a little cool history. Um, and the Republic would have done the same. Um, you get a lot of the... Yeah, like the clones are the tip of the spear. But then you have specialized forces. So like on DAC, you have like Republic scuba troopers, but what better to fight? And humans aren't native aquatic species. Yeah. Um, so what better to have local knights of Mon Cala fight on your right. behalf, right? The tip of the tip of the spear. Yeah, <laughs> the other tip tip <laughs> of the spear. <coughs> yeah. Uh, in any case, um, it's also... So pseudo applicable in a modern military sense um in the american military kind of similar to like the roman legions 
uh, people can join their fighting forces and become not auxiliaries, but they can. It's like a path to citizenship, so it encourages, yeah, you know, foreign individuals to join. Um, and other other modern militaries have a similar scheme. Um, kind of another parallel to the modern military. Um, so talking about the Onderon resistance, they actually drew a storyline in the Clone Wars directly lifted from uh, American military operations. Um, Those are the best stories. Yeah. <laughs> Where they um, uh, the Americans uh, supported the Mujahideen <laughs> and they gave them uh, Stinger missiles to take out the Soviet uh, gunships that were um, harassing like the Mujahideen they had no way of dealing with these gunships, right? They had major air superiority. Um, so another, I guess, method of American war fighting is also funding and arming and supporting and training rebel groups, rebel groups. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it looks like the Republic did a lot of that as well. Oh, they did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until um, they became the rebel. Well, so this is, so this is the interesting thing is in the case of the Republic, it kind of splits. So you see a lot of the allies. I kind of went past the Clone Wars with some of these groups just to kind of see the outcomes. Yeah. Um, some of these groups end up joining, yeah, exactly, becoming rebel forces, especially those under like Saw Gerrera. Yeah. Um, they actively oppose the Empire right away. Um, so in, in essence, they trained and sponsored the people that would eventually fight against them. Uh, but then you have others like the Warriors of Elon, yep. who are already like a highly militarized group. Um just signing on with the empire and just continuing to fight on behalf of the empire. Yeah. You know, obviously like we mentioned, they seem like very loyal and patriotic. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously they were exploited for it and just right. used, but in essence, um, they were still loyal. Yeah. So you kind of see that 50, 50 divide with all these different factions, some, yeah, becoming the very foundations of the, of the rebellion and other like Ram Coda's troops too. And others just signing on with the empire. So, so that's good odds if you want to fund a local militia. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You have a 50-50 chance of them turning on you. <laughs> um, a couple of things I did want to mention too that we didn't quite get in the episode um, just because they, the whole Clone Wars era kind of sits in between Disney canon and Star Wars Legends. So sometimes some storylines kind of either stop abruptly and would carry on into the Disney canon just because they were, they were being written during that Disney acquisition phase. Um, but I did just want to give these shout outs, I guess, for some name drops. Um, so talking about the Twi'lek resistance fighters, Champs and Dula, um, current fans of the Disney side of it uh, might recognize the last name Sindula as he would become the father of Hera Sindula, who is a rebel operative who fights against the Empire and be later be she becomes a general in the New Republic. Um, so just a, a nod there for those that recognize the name. And in terms of the Mandalorians, uh, the Mandalorian protectors, uh, during the Clone Wars, uh, there was a Mandalorian by the name of Fen Rao who led Skull Squadron for the Galactic Republic. And uh, when the Empire occupied Mandalore, Rao and Skull Squadron relocated to the third moon of Concord Dawn, forming an alliance with the Empire. Um, and an offshoot of the protectors called the Journeyman Protectors remained neutral and focused on their efforts in, of law and order within the Mandalore sector, but not on Mandalore itself. 
uh, retaining another element of Mandalorian customs and tradition. So a lot of, specifically within the Clone Wars, a lot of the Mandalorian stuff gets like just shattered and you have all these different sub-factions. So on the one hand, it's a cool way of salvaging, I think, Mandalorian culture and history from the tyranny that is the new Mandalorians. (laughs) those pacifist offshoots. Um, so yeah, there's lots of sub factions and stuff. And because that group has a lot of nods to the legends canon in terms of the Concord Dawn protectors. Um, but they technically only appear in the Disney rebels TV series. I wanted to at least acknowledge their existence. You can choose to believe that they existed or not, depending on some elements that you might choose to incorporate from the Disney canon. Yeah. But, yeah. Any who's your favorite uh, auxiliary force there? Mm. You know, I really like the Mon Calamari. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I've always liked the Mon Calamari, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, they're they're um, like in a lot of ways they're like a very um, storied people who have like a lot of culture to them and a lot of history yeah and uh that they're also like uh obviously a um a fighting force that you know is nothing to sneeze at and they they're shipbuilding and all that kind of stuff so yeah i don't i don't know i i personally yeah, i like a special place in your heart yeah i like i like my fish people <laughs> <laughs> what about you um okay so i have the same feelings towards wookies but okay. for for a more interesting take, and because we're going to be covering Wookiees in the near future, um, I would say it's a toss-up between Coda's Militia and the Elon Nova Guard. Um, I figured you'd like the Elon. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it, man. Um, but for Coda's Militia, uh, for anyone that's played The Force Unleashed, um, you've encountered his militia. Hmm. Um, I think it's cool how they are like pre-Rebel Rebels. Like they look the part they're it's it's just a cool yeah uh, maybe more for aesthetics than anything else one thing i don't like about it is how ram coda could say that the clone soldiers are inferior um i think that's not true <laughs> i could get like just not trusting them yeah uh but when the clones like are superior in every way to like a regular soldier yeah, I mean, you your distrust should be based on something other than their results because I don't think the his assessment is necessarily valid. Yeah, um, and obviously the Elon Nova Guard, just because I like militarist cultures and societies, and um, it's crazy that they number a billion. Yeah. Um. So again, talking about like forces, like that's that's a galactic army. I feel like if they wanted to, they could have just turned on the Republic and, and just take, take it over. <laughs> yeah, take it yeah. over. Like how many times in history has that happened? Right. Where someone who you think is on your side, they're like, <laughs> there's a good opportunity. They're yeah. like, wow, both sides are super weak. I'm just going to come in and take up the middle. And yeah. <laughs> and I think it's because of their like, they're indoctrinated into their hyper loyalty that. But are they like they wouldn't do I'm that? not super familiar with them. Like, are they imperialistic at all? Like it doesn't seem I, that way, but yeah, there's not a lot on them. They're quite for again, it's so funny because considering their numbers and yeah. their would be effect on, on the galaxy. Right. Um, there's not a lot about them. They're one of those little throwaway groups in the Star Wars canon or universe, I should say. Canon, yeah. whatever, legends. Um 
so they're it's hard to say um but i think because of the fierce loyalty they exhibit um it's safe to assume they would just be loyal to what whoever is the boss regardless of who that boss is which is why they so quickly just invert to the empire they're not fighting for the ideals of the republic they're just fighting for the republic because they're the boss and then when the republic becomes the empire they're just like naturally transition kind of like the clone army turning into stormtroopers right like it's just the natural transition of government yeah becoming the default authority for sure um but yeah a cool little exploration into all the little side groups of star wars this is a little nice little jaunt through a diaspora of different groups yeah definitely a, like a lot of people you wouldn't really hear about yeah otherwise so. good excuse to talk about a lot yeah. of the tangential forces definitely but cool well shall we uh get out of here yeah okay see y'all later <laughs> <laughs>